Hour number two, underway. The Pete Callender Show. I'm the Pete. This is the show. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. The phone numbers are 704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110. The email is Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. And you can also find me on Twitter at Pete Callender, where we uh, I've got a, a message here from Michael uh, discussing uh, the crime topic because the Mecklenburg Board of County Commissioners got a presentation last night about their new plan to wipe out crime. I'm sorry, no, the way forward. They want to reduce crime, violent crime, by 10% over the next five years. And uh, they had a lot of charts and they had data points. I went over all that in the first hour. Um, and then we heard from Commissioner Mark Jarrell, who said it's systemic racism, tied it to systemic racism. He applauded the work. By the way, if I hear these elected officials talk any more about the work, oh my gosh, I'm going to have an aneurysm. The work. This is, by the way, and the reason why you hear this all the time is because this is, it's part of neo-Marxism, and I know I sound like a crazy mccarthy guy here saying this, but when you actually know what the the neo-Marxism philosophy is about, you know what the work means, right? You know, in... In North Korea, do you know what they have on the gulags out there? Like, work shall set you free. Hitler had similar messages on his concentration camps. It was through the work. The work. And it's why they're always so tired. Oh, I'm so tired of doing the work. But we got to put in the work. It's always about the work. And they talk about the work as if it is the whole point. Because in the Hegelian dialectic, it is. It's always about the work. It's never freaking done, ever. They never achieve utopia because they're constantly destroying everything in order to arrive at the most perfected utopian vision, which is, of course, the state. The work. They keep talking about doing the work. And I'm not even sure that the people who use this term realize what that baggage is, but some of them probably do. And so they're talking about all of the, the work that's going to be done in this, this document that has the work explained uh, uh, you know, in, in all of the graphs and charts and stuff and the, the, the delegation of responsibilities and the action plans and all of that. And in five years, all of this is going to help reduce crime. And never mentioned is anything about targeted enforcement. None of that. Because it's a public health crisis. Crime is a public health issue. Oh, and so is racism. Remember, the county commissioners passed a resolution that identified racism as a public health crisis as well. And that's what Mark Jarrell mentioned in his soundbite that we heard at the end of the last hour. That's what he's talking about. Systemic racism. So he's happy. He's not trying to bash the work that has been done so far. He's encouraging it. He's appreciative of it. But he's looking forward to having that document live and breathe a little so it, it can include the systemic racism. Because in this line of thinking, the reason why we are seeing the amount of crime being perpetrated by young black men against young black men predominantly, but by their own stats last night that they were lamenting last night, the reason for that is because they don't get opportunities. That's the reason why they're gunning each other down, doing drive-bys of each other's homes. That's the reason why they don't have opportunities and uh, they don't have access to fill in the blank, 
And uh, when they do get in trouble and get arrested, uh, they can't get back uh, integrated into society because uh, there are no uh, return to society types of plans for them. This is the progressive experiment. This is not new either. It's not new. These efforts have been underway for quite a while. Now, they will tell you that it's, it's, it hasn't been enough. That's the problem. It hasn't been enough because the answer to all neo-Marxists is more state, right? Is to tear down the institution that exists, find out the one piece that was the perfected piece of the entire institution. You keep that, you blow up everything else, and you build something new in its place. You're in a constant state of revolution, constantly. That's the work. So systemic racism is the reason why this is occurring. Even if I accept that premise, even if I accept the premise, why is it getting worse? Why did it go down and now it's gone up? See, there's the problem. It doesn't explain what was going on, what has happened in the last three years. Did everybody just get more racisty? Oh, Donald Trump made everybody racist? Is that what happened? Donald Trump turned everybody into a racist and now it just manifested itself within the last two years? I'm to believe that. You know what they never mentioned? The deleterious impacts of the lockdowns on these kids. No, no. See, because that might, yeah, that might implicate them to some degree. Because they are, after all, the Board of Health in Mecklenburg County. Mecklenburg County commissioners are the Board of Health here. We are one of the few counties in North Carolina where they have that dual responsibility. See, so they can't talk about, see, they can't talk about anything related to the COVID response and any kind of negative societal impacts that COVID and the pandemic and the government response that they adopted, that they forced upon people. They can't talk about any of that. So, of course, it's going to be racism, systemic racism at that. So this way, you can't identify a person. You can't say, oh, there's the racist. Let's get rid of that racist. Because I don't like racists. Racism is the lowest form of collectivism. And I'm not a collectivist, right? I try to look at people as individuals. So when I see uh, the collective philosoph- uh, collectivist philosophy of racism, uh, I reject it. But when you call it structural or systemic racism, well, now who do I go after? Who's been, who, who do we fire from the gig that's doing all the racism? It's by design. It's like punching smoke. You can't get at it. That's the, that's the whole point. All right, let me get over here and get Stan on the program. Hello, Stan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Pete. Hey. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to make one quick comment before I get to my point about something that you just said, and I want to make sure I have this right. You said that they have a goal, as a goal to reduce crime by 5% over five years. 10% over five years. 10%. Okay, my question is, Hold on. Why don't they have it as a goal to reduce crime by 100% and see how close they can get? So it's like if they reduce it by 10%, they can call it success. From where we are now, that still sucks. (laughs) Right. Well, they want to reduce. You don't want to set a goal like they did with the wipeout poverty plan and then not hit it. Because then as a politician, you might be held accountable for not achieving the stated goal. Oh, so, so let's see. Let's see how little we can reduce it and maintain our goal. Right. So let's. Yeah, we'll set a. You got to set an. And look, to some degree, I understand this. When you're like you're setting up a bonus structure or something, when you're setting goals, you got to have goals that are achievable, right? And, and so 
Is it is a ten percent goal achievable? Maybe they think it is. It's a nice whole number because they 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 could have said let's shoot for you know eleven point two percent reduction. I mean they could have picked any number they wanted, but they chose ten percent. So there is a there's a marketing effort there, right? Right, it's, it's all marketing. Now, now the point, a question I want to ask you because you have always said that you're a libertarian with a little L. Yes. So I, I watched the uh, Georgia's governor debate the other night. No. Oh. Uh, by happenstance, and just it just I, I got a link, and I just thought I'll just see what it's all about. Yeah. But I did not know this, but the libertarian candidate. I'm guessing he got enough of a percentage so that he was actually in the debate. Yeah, Hazel and is it? Yeah, Hazel's last name. Shane, Shane Hazel. Shane Hazel. Yeah. Um, he he literally every time he got to speak, he literally was espousing uh, what the Republican Party should be and what the Republican base would vote for. And when I listened to Jack Kemp, it was almost like he was trying to remain as close to the left. As Abrams as he could, and stay just far enough right of her, so that he wouldn't be boxed in when he got elected. So here's my question to you: It almost seems to me that the Libertarian Party should just basically disband, and if they want to run, run with run as a Republican with the same with the same priorities. Because it's like most people will vote for the, the vote for the label as opposed to the person. Right. The- and this has been a this has been an argument inside libertarian circles for thirty years. Um, is it best to have your own party, uh, or is it best to go into the established party and take it over from within? And uh, they attempted to do the latter. They the libertarians attempted to do that, not in any kind of a concerted effort, because you know they're libertarians and getting them to do anything is like herding cats. Um, so the. The, the libertarians did try to influence. In fact, they were part of you know Reagan's three-legged stool uh, in during the Cold War, uh, because you had. I mean, yes, you had the War Hawks, and libertarians disagreed with them. But libertarians were also for what low taxes, right? They were for limited government, and so that was where they. That was what Reagan uh, built as part of his coalition. The libertarians are anti-communist, and so that was sort of the unifying force. That kept them all together. The fall of the Berlin Wall and the Soviet Union's collapse, it, it obliterated Reagan's coalition. And so then the libertarians kind of go off on their own. But uh, they, don't, they, they don't want, as, a, as far as I can tell, and I'm not a capital L registered libertarian any, anymore, so, uh, but as far as I can tell, they're not interested in being part of the Republican Party. They view them both as a duopoly. They, they view them both as part of a rigged system. Well, so you know, well, so you have to know that if Donald Trump had run as an independent or a third party, there's no way he would have ever been president. Mm-hmm. All other factors being the same. Yeah, no, I, I agree. But there's something to be said that there's not a critical mass of libertarian voters inside the GOP. So, uh, Stan, I got to run. I do appreciate the call, sir. Talk 1110-993-WBT. Hey. A reminder, tomorrow night is Talktoberfest. WBT's Talktoberfest every Thursday night in October, starting at 8 o'clock. We gather around ye old Facetube live, and uh, we chew the fat. We talk stuff. I did it last week with uh, Vince Coakley, and uh, tomorrow night it's going to be Mark Garrison and Brett Jensen. 
again, this is WBT's Talktoberfest every Thursday, presented by Kristen Bernard and Power Home Team, Keller Williams South Park, and you can get all the details at WBT.com. Uh, Michael says on the Twitter machine, it's a Pete tweet. He says, regarding a better job at conflict resolution, it may help when our political leaders tone down their hateful rhetoric. Leadership by example, after all. Not to mention the media finding the most outlandish and combative sound bites. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to be said for what the culture permits, right, via its elected leaders and its institutions. And media is one of these institutions. And media has engaged in inflaming, inflammatory, let me say, uh, uh, rhetoric and casting of stories, the attention on certain stories versus others. And everybody thinks that they're the victim, like not everybody, but a lot a lot of these arguments, I, and I've been hearing it for years, ever since I've been in media, even before, when I was in school, I would hear these arguments. Um, for example, <clears throat> let's compare the atrocities committed by uh, black perpetrators against white victims and compare that media coverage to the inverse. That's one, and that's one example on one side. And then compare missing persons and the coverage that media gives missing white girls versus black girls. Right? You've got two different comparatives there to assess. And what you hear from people that make the argument, like on the missing persons, is that in the black community, they're very sensitive to the fact that they don't get the kind of coverage that a pretty white girl gets when she goes missing. And why is that? Media chose that story. Media chooses these stories. So media plays a role in this. People in newsrooms play a role in this. On the other hand, you have the crime. And you get uh, the, the story that I keep thinking of is the, the white couple in Tennessee that were brutalized, brutally murdered by like four or five black men. And it got none of the coverage that you know had the races been inverted it would have been covered because it was such a horrific story. And I'm not going to go into the details because it's, it is scarring. So there is, there are double standards here. There are, there are different decisions being made about quote, what is news? Here's another thing. Uh, we don't in media. I noticed now they don't give uh, suspect descriptions. Although I did notice that there was a description of somebody as a white male shooter after he was already apprehended, he was being identified as a white male shooter, which is not necessary, you realize. See, th- this move away from uh, giving racial descriptors when you are looking for a suspect is different than when you have the suspect in custody. There's no need to identify somebody once apprehended by their race. It's not necessary. If you're a media operation, right? The only reason you would be identifying somebody based on their race is if they are on the loose. And you need the community's help to find this person. Police need your help identifying this suspect. Here's a picture of them. He's described as five foot eleven, wearing these clothes and a black male or a white male or whatever. Because that's helpful information. If you just tell somebody, yeah, he's five foot nine, he's wearing some clothes, I don't know what race. Okay. Uh, I'm not gonna look for anybody then. Because that could be anybody. But if you give me some thing, you know, some some factors, some criteria, I can look at those. But then this became taboo. This became politically incorrect. Media was uh, was pressured to stop identifying suspects 
even when they're on the loose and police need help identifying them. So now you get these descriptions that don't identify race. Well, that doesn't make any sense. But then just the other day, I think it was with this shooting um, in Raleigh, I heard him identified as a white male suspect. But he was already incapacitated in the hospital in critical condition. So why do you need to know he's a white male? Why wouldn't it just be a male age 15 or whatever? Why would you need the white descriptor in there? He's apprehended. What's up with that? We know what's up with that. We understand what's going on here, right? Everybody understands what's going on. All right, so here's Vilma Leak. Let me get to Vilma Leak. She said last night before she went on her rant, um, and I'm not saying the rant wasn't unjustified. Now, she's all over the map here. So lest you think that everything Vilma's about to say is going to be wrong or objectionable, whatever, not everything she says here is off the mark. But some of the stuff is. And she puts the stuff that's on the mark in the sentence right after the stuff that's off the mark, and then she peppers in some just um, weird statements, kind of word salad kind of stuff. This is a major, major problem in the black community. When you look at the number of black men and young people who've been killed right here in our own community, And when I listened on Saturday night at Livingstone College, when I listened in Raleigh, North Carolina, all over this country, but they're not allowing us as black people to sit down and solve our problems. Okay. I don't know what this means. I admit. I do not know what this means. She says they are not allowing us as black people to sit down and solve our problems. The first question I have is, who is they? Who is, who is the they that is preventing anybody from sitting down and solving problems? Who's doing that? How, is that? how is that occurring? I'm curious. Nobody asks. Nobody ever cares to ask. No media, no, 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 none of her colleagues on the board. They're all Democrats, so I don't expect it. But nobody ever thinks to say, who, who are you talking about that's preventing us from this? Everybody just ignores her when she says this stuff. But here's the problem. She's running for re-election. She had supporters in the audience that cheered her when she was done. She's, she's bringing in tow a whole bunch of supporters. She shows up at some city council meetings. right? She's an influential leader in the, quote, black community. So somebody should be asking her, who is the they? News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Got an email here to Pete at the Pete Callender Show. Uh, says, Pete, maybe somebody should contact the district attorney's office and ask them why they do not prosecute repeat violent offenders, drug charges, or basically any crime that requires them to actually do their job. You should also contact the magistrate's office and ask them why they almost always issue, issue unsecured bonds, even for repeat violent offenders. Make sure you're sitting down. When and if they decide to answer you, because the answers will shock you. Firearm by felon charges are dropped at a shocking rate, and they refuse to prosecute almost every drug charge, even those in possession of large amounts of marijuana. If someone is caught in a stolen vehicle, unless they specifically state that they know the vehicle is stolen or that they stole it, it'll never make it to the court 
and it will be dismissed. Um, I cannot identify myself due to my job. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I will uh, take you up on that offer for more information. Absolutely. Um, I am aware. So, uh, yeah, I am aware that there there are FOIA requests. I just haven't gotten around to it. This is election season. It's very busy. So I haven't got. It's my fault. I haven't gotten around to it. But there are FOIA requests that I can do to get the judges rates on uh, bonds, but not not the amount, but how many uh, judges are are uh, you know putting people in jail or giving them secured bonds, unsecured bonds, and and that sort of thing. Uh, they collect that data, and you can FOIA that. I've seen it, so. I just I haven't gotten around to it, um, so I apologize for that. Let me get back to this audio clip. This is Vilma Leak last night at the county commission meeting. She said, I'm about to blow up. And then she talked about how they won't let us sit down to solve our problems. And she's talking about the black community, black people, that they can solve the problems. She and, and black people can solve the problems with the crime that's disproportionately committed by and victimizing black people. But somebody somewhere is preventing her from sitting down along with every other black person, I guess, and solving these problems on their own, on our own is what she said. That's her quote. I don't know what she means. I'm just relaying the information and expressing my confusion as to who she's talking about. That's, prohibiting her from sitting down and solving the problem. Are you hearing me, dear? Yes, ma'am. It is not a problem that we can't solve as a people if given the kind of money that we give other agencies to use to solve these problems. What? Okay. All right. So it's a money thing? So the people that so it's not a matter of you sitting down to solve the problem. It's a matter of you getting enough money to do something. Is that the idea? You would think this woman doesn't have any kind of control over a budget annually that tops a billion dollars. When she does, she absolutely does. I hope you're understanding me clearly. I remember the civil rights movement. Money flow. Money still flowing, but it's not flowing where it ought to flow to change the mindset, the economics. Am I right, John? The economics, the education of our people, and that's black people. And I'm not mad at anybody here. I'm just disturbed that everywhere I sit is somebody else telling us what we can do to make it happen. I remember the first meeting we had maybe five years ago, Dina Diori allowed us to get together with the group that I pulled together to talk about violence. Oh, maybe she's, maybe Dina Diorio is the they that is preventing black people from getting together to talk. Well, that would be weird because this is under her direction, so I'm unclear. Never mind. And he was still dragging our feet and losing young boys and girls to violence in this community. More boys, and now it's children that we're losing. What is our future going to look like? Who's going to be sitting up here five years from today or 10 years from today 
Everybody else has the answer. Whoa, 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 whoa. Be careful. That sounds almost like some sort of variant of the replacement theory that I'm told is racist. So you're worried about, like, who's going to be sitting at the dais if everyone keeps killing themselves. Like, that's that's getting kind of close to the replacement theory stuff. So I, I, I've been told that's racisty. So just even though Democrats have been promoting that as their, like, electoral strategy for, like, a decade or two. Uh, let me go over here. Let's get Tim on the program. Hello, Tim. Welcome to the show. Hey, Pete. Enjoy hey. your show. Thank you, sir. Um, I was just going to share with you that uh, one thing that's going on, I'm sure it's going on in other cities, but I was talking to a police officer a while back, and uh, he was telling me that uh, when they were out doing uh, their job, uh, they would uh, they would write down what happened, and the supervisors and all that told them, no, 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 we need to, to make that sound better. And other words, just marketing now going into uh, crime so that it makes us look like we aren't as bad as we really are. Well, that's always been one of the limitations of the crime stat reporting mechanisms is that the local departments have control over how they write those stats up. And so this is one of the criticisms of like the FBI uh, crime stat database when they put out the numbers every year you get the quote reformers that always point to that very argument that uh, you got different jurisdictions that tally the the crimes differently yeah but the, the bottom line is that it, it makes sense if you think about it sure the, uh, city leaders want the city to look calmer and nicer and sweeter than it really is Right, and that works with some kinds of crimes. It doesn't work with homicides. It doesn't work with shootings, right? That's the problem, right. that, and, and this is precisely what, it, what they're talking about, is gun assaults and homicides. You can't, you can't hide those numbers because somebody's dead or somebody went to the hospital, right? So uh, to, that, I mean, to that extent, I, I think like, it's good that this is being discussed. I'm glad to see that they're trying to put together some sort of a plan um, I don't appreciate uh, how they are attempting to deflect onto other causes and ignoring their own role in the increase in violence because of the COVID lockdowns, that they were part of the decision-making process, right? Uh, but also the, the the larger celebration of criminality and the, the soft-on-crime approach um, that I think sends these messages that uh, engaging in this behavior is totally fine. Well, a good example is that shootout on uh, Betty's Ford Road uh, yep. a year or so ago. Well, yeah, now it's, and I think, two. Nobody saw who did it. Nobody yeah. saw who did it. Yeah, hundreds of people, hundreds of people, thousands of shots fired, and nobody saw anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's I, just it's crazy. She's right. The, the black community does need to get more involved in trying to find a solution. Uh, in those neighborhoods. Right, but I, I think the problem is is that the solutions that they are pitched are all GovCo solutions, and they don't work. I think that's the problem. Right. I think that because of their because of the connection between the black uh, community and their voting habits for Democrats, Democrats' love of GovCo, Democrats' answer is always the same. It is more money for more government, and the black Voters keep voting for more of that, and so they're they're thinking like, well, what's going on? I keep voting for you, and nothing is changing. It's getting worse, and that's not 
I don't think that's the answer. I don't think the answer is more government here. I think the answer has to be uh, at a much lower level, at the at the family level, at the church level. But it also, and I said this before, it's society-wide. This is not just, you know, the black communities, the white community, the Hispanic community. It's, it's writ large, this, uh, this, this celebration of a culture of criminality in America that's acceptable. So... Uh, I don't know how they get at it uh, at at that macro level. But, Tim, I do appreciate the call, sir. Thanks so much for making it. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Let me get to this soundbite because I've been talking about it for a while. This was County Commissioner Vilma Leak last night uh, uh, somehow or another attaching Donald Trump to the black-on-black crime that has been increasing over the last uh, two years uh, in Charlotte-Mecklenburg. I'm tired of going to funerals. I'm tired of weeping and moaning over issues of this community and this country. We were moving pretty smoothly at one time, and then when the political arena got involved with Trump and that crowd and the boys out of Virginia, wherever they are from, hatred began to rise hating each other, black men disliking black women and wanting to tell us what to do, and the opposite. I'm speaking from what I have experienced and what I know and what I'm experiencing today as I sit here. See, I don't know. I, I don't know what she's talking about. I don't understand what she's talking about. That somehow or another things were moving along pretty smoothly, and then, which is weird because throughout... The 20 years that I've covered Vilma Leak, she has always talked about how things were terrible and we've made progress. But she said that the things were moving pretty smoothly, but now they're not. And that's because Trump and I guess the Tiki Torch guys up in Charlottesville, I guess that's who she's talking about, I, I assume. Um, and then hatred began to rise. That's what did it. Trump and hatred began to rise, and that's what has prompted young black men to murder young black men. Let me go over here to the phones. This is Rob. Welcome to the program, Rob. Yo, man, I'm going to try and compress it. First of all, I ain't no damn African. I'm an American, period, who happens to be black. Okay, moving right along. I went to a mainstream college, not a historically black college. I competed against fellow mainstream Americans. I graduated summa cum laude. Okay, I've been a decorated registered nurse for 22 years. Moving right along. The problem in America, the hell with all this money talk. The problem is you got eight out of ten black girls spreading their legs and having babies. There's no man in the black family. We have no black family. There's no black family. I grew up in a family with a mother, a father, okay? I've never been arrested, killed anybody, or gone to jail, okay? That's the problem in America. No black families. 80%, okay, matriarchal families. And that's all I got to say. And I'm pissed off as an American who happens to be black. I'm pissed off. No, I I don't blame you, Rob. I I really don't. And and this is one of the, uh, the issues that doesn't get discussed in these types of conversations. When you see these government folks, they get around and they start talking about this being a public health crisis, a public health issue, 
but they don't talk about what you just talked about. Although I will say, Vilma Lee came came the closest to even mentioning what you just uh, what you just did, and what she mentioned was the Patrick Moynihan report that was done back, Correct. yeah, back in LBJ's days, yeah. She and she mentioned it, but she didn't mention it as a way of like, hey, this was a warning, and he turned out to be right. Moynihan told us about it. 40 years ago. Right. By the way, man, I love the Fanny commercials. <laughs> I love them Fanny commercials. <laughs> Thank you very much Thanks, for Rob. having me on your program. All right, buddy. Hey, hey call anytime. I appreciate it. It's good talking with you. <laughs> so, uh, Vilma Leak was the closest one to mention what Rob just mentioned. But she didn't mention it for the same reason. Because Rob hears, Rob knows what that what the Moynihan, and I'm going to get into this because uh, she mentioned it. I've got the soundbite. She mentioned it as an indictment. She said, "This is what they really think. This is what, and you know what I mean." And she does this. She has this habit also of saying things that sound crazy and then asking everybody, "You know what I'm talking about, right?" And and she gets this sort of the the uh, I've heard it referred to as the uh, the daytime uh, talk show nod or the Oprah nod where you get the crowd or Dr. Phil nod, you know, we get the crowd and they're, and, and they're watching something and, and they'll say somebody at the, on the stage will tell some story and, you know, get, get all emotional. And then it's like, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about? And you get the nod. Oh yes. Mm, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. It's the empathy nod, even though you have no idea what that person's talking about, but that's what she does. She's done this for years and it's, uh, she, she go she walks down these, uh, these rhetorical dead ends and can't get out. So she just throws that out. You know what I'm talking about? Or, or I'm just, uh, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm talking out of turn or I'm going to get in trouble for this. She, it, it's her escape hatch. So maybe that's what she's doing here. With, uh, you'll hear it when she talks about the Moynihan report. But that was the closest anyone came to what Rob explained. <laughs> 